0: what's up everyone welcome back to the planet today it's monday may 16th 2022 i'm your host matt norton here with producer and co-host nick janusa what's up nick Hey, not much waking up on this wonderful monday morning with your pals matt and nick dynamic duo back in the studio as I was going to say always, but you got some big news coming up this week.
1: Oh, dude, I am going to be gone for the next two weeks. If you're going to miss my voice, you better just listen back to all of our other episodes. I know no one will, but that's fine, (laughs) Um, because I will not be here for
0: the next two weeks. I am on my way to Italy. Yes, and uh, we're going to record Friday's show a little early that we can get you one more episode of Nick content. Um Yeah. And then we have some, some people filling in for him. So don't you worry, you're still getting your TPT uh, while Nick is soaking up some sun and soaking up a <laughs> hell of a lot of wine and pasta. <laughs> exactly. And I, I do want to shout out
1: CJ, Giselle and Dan, they're going to do an awesome job filling in for me. Absolutely. Listen to those episodes that way. Also too. You don't have to listen to my voice. You know, if you don't like me, Boom, there's your episodes. These three these three or four episodes, boom. If
0: you don't like me, you're stuck with me, so buckle up. <laughs> yeah, you're screwed. You are screwed if you don't like Matt, my goodness. Uh, we mentioned last month that Giselle was going to be on for this episode, but she has been super busy with her new job, so hey, Giselle, congrats on your new job. We will get you back on the show soon, and with that, let's get right into it. Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. And don't forget to rate the show
1: wherever you can on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that stuff. Don't forget.
0: Yeah. If Google does ratings, I don't know if they do. They probably do. uh, Rate us there too. And review on Apple Podcasts. If you have a couple seconds, that would be great. Great. Um, If you missed our last episode on IPCC reports, Giselle and I talked about it on March 14th, which was episode number 49. So you can go check that out if you're interested. And with that, let's get into this latest report by the IPCC, which was released in early April. The report is titled Climate Change 2022, Mitigation of Climate Change, and it provides an updated assessment on how global progress for mitigation is going and what kind of long-term impacts national emissions goals actually have. The IPCC is calling for a
1: substantial reduction in the global use of fossil fuels so we can avoid the worst of climate change. And the group has said that there's limited time to act. By 2030, greenhouse gas emissions need to be cut by 43% to prevent 1.5
0: degrees Celsius of warming by 2100. So look, realistically, the 1.5 degree goal is likely dead. And I would love to be wrong about that. Because technically it is still possible, but it's becoming less and less likely with every day that fossil fuel production consumption does not decrease. The good news is that we have the tools to slow warming and we have a better shot at this reduction than we did a few years ago, but the barriers still remain.
1: Yeah. And those barriers are decades of failure in global leadership combined with fossil fuel companies, single-minded focus on their profits and unsustainable patterns of consumption with the world's richest households, according to Rachel Cletus, Policy Director at the Union of Concerned Scientists. But the good news is, like Matt said, technology is mostly there. With renewable energy, electric vehicles, and carbon capture, electricity and transportation are two of the largest sources of emissions, and we know how to fix that. Renewable energy is also continuing to get cheaper, and it continues to expand
0: globally. Another main takeaway from this for me is that it's going to be costly to switch away from fossil fuels, but it will be far more expensive to stick with them. It'll take government subsidies to promote renewables, and governments may need to invest three to six times the $600 billion that they already spend promoting clean energy, but not doing this would make countries poorer by not getting in on the economic boom created by clean energy. And it's going to cause environmental impacts that will have even higher costs down the road. You know, this is something where, look, it's expensive right now. But if we just let everything play out the way that it's going to play out, we're going to have to spend more later on. And that's something that this report really emphasized. You know, no one is out here saying it's going to be cheap. It's going to be easy to mitigate climate change. What we're saying is it's a hell of a lot better than the alternative.
1: Yeah, it's much better than waiting so even if 1.5 is going to be extremely difficult to reach every fraction of a degree matters if we can mobilize to limit warming to 1.6 or 1.7 degrees celsius that is much better than 2.0 while there are many other factors that go into mitigating climate change getting off of fossil fuels needs to be priority number one combustion of fossil fuels and industrial processes are responsible for about 78% of climate warming emissions over the past several decades.
0: So look, ending deforestation is huge. Implementing carbon capture is huge. But like Nick said, priority number one needs to be getting off fossil fuels as quickly as possible. The UN report calls for limiting the use of coal by 95%, oil by 60%, and natural gas by 45% in 2050, compared to their use in 2019. To limit warming to 2 degrees Celsius, which again would allow for substantially more climate-caused harm, the use of these fuels would need to be cut by 85%, 30%, and 15% respectively by 2050 compared to their 2019 levels. So even in that 2 degrees uh, scenario where you know, humanity isn't going to fail, we're still looking at an 85% reduction in coal. But if we wanna make it so that the planet is very, very livable instead of just Yeah, this is livable, ninety-five percent of coal needs to be gone in the next twenty-eight years. Almost half of the natural gas, sixty percent of oil. Like we, we need to get off of fossil fuels, and that's that's the main takeaway right there. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but in the meantime, we need to reach our global emissions peak as soon as possible. And the report says that this can come no later than 2025.
1: Yeah, and Matt, you just mentioned carbon capture before, and that's still a developing technology. Without it, we would need to stop using coal entirely by 2050 and cut natural gas usage by 70%. So carbon capture is a big piece of the puzzle, but emitting less carbon makes that puzzle piece less important.
0: Yeah, carbon capture is something that I find extremely frustrating because there's a lot of bad faith actors out there that'll say, we don't have to lower our emissions. We just got to figure out how to better capture that carbon and better store it. Mm. You know, it's not some silver bullet the way that they want it to be. It, it's a puzzle piece, like you said, but the far more effective way would just be to reduce our emissions. And, you know, this is really similar to what we talked about with plastics, where recycling's great. You know, except for plastic recycling, which is not all that effective. Go check out last Monday's episode, (laughs) but recycling is, is good. It's great for aluminum. It's great for glass. It's great for metals, but reducing our consumption is more effective than recycling as much as we can. You know, consumption and production is the problem. Yeah. Not carbon capture, not recycling. It's how much we are unsustainably producing. Yeah. Agreed. It's the same principle here. Yeah. And it's also worth bringing up that agriculture and construction also contribute to warming temperatures. And the report calls for limiting their emissions as well. Agriculture is a tough one because factory farming is both energy intensive and resource intensive.
1: Yeah. Animal agriculture requires so much land and water and often the land needed results in deforestation.
0: Yeah. It's definitely something where, look, we should eat less meat I know you and I avoid specific types of meat for climate reasons, but there's two caveats here. Like anything, it's the system that needs changing. If people realize the true cost of beef and it wasn't subsidized, then maybe it would be less of a radical idea to eat more beans or more plant-based proteins. Number two, Nick, we're in a very privileged position in the United States to say, hey, eat less meat because we have access to affordable vegetables. And there's some areas where you know there's no abundance of food so we can't just tell those people who are struggling to put food on their plate hey you shouldn't eat this you should eat something that's more environmentally friendly so yeah. again it, it's the system and this whole climate equity conversation could spawn out of what we just said we're not going to get into that today but you know climate equity is a really really important part of the conversation that needs to get brought up anytime we talk about environmental movements you know environmental justice is the the other buzzword you're going to hear when it comes to that. So equity, environmental justice, two really, really important topics.
1: Yeah. Agreed. And like when we say eat less meat on the show, it's obviously if you're in the position of privilege in order to do that, like in order to take that action Mm -hmm. and to maybe spend the extra money on, um, you know, the plant-based proteins or maybe not even spend the more money just buy you know more beans more of the natural occurring proteins like um soy tofu <laughs> nuts yeah and for the folks that are unable to to change their diet because of where they live in the world or whatever the case may be obviously it's it's
0: not for you you know yeah or even just economic status like here here in the US we talked about a couple of weeks ago how there's a lot of pesticides found on non-organic foods here some people can't afford to buy organic so there's ways to avoid You know, those that are more prone to pesticide usage, or buy organic if you can. So, with everything here, it's do as much as you can within your means. Yeah, agreed, 100%. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and then pick this one up in a few. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A A.co and code TPT.
1: Welcome back to the planet today, folks. Let's go ahead and jump right back into our conversation.
0: So a major challenge in communicating complex messages about climate change is that the more simplified media reports of these events often have more influence than the scientific reports themselves. So something that I found interesting when the report was released, people read emissions should peak at the latest by 2025, and they thought, All right. So we have a four-year window to increase them without really causing any major harm. And that got reported by several media outlets and people kind of started to run with that and say, hey, you know, we can keep doing what we're doing. And then 2025, that's when we need to start reducing.
1: Yeah. And in reality, emissions need to start decreasing ASAP. And climate models are only run in five-year windows. So models can't show the difference between emissions peaking in 2022 versus 2024 but they can absolutely say that peaking in
0: 2030 is too late. Yeah, and the thing about journalism that's tough here is that for all of the great work that the IPCC does, most people don't read their report. Hell, I did not read their full report. I read their (laughs) summary, which is still 64 pages long, and most people don't read that. So when you have people reading a summary of a summary, stuff is going to get lost in translation there. Yeah, it's like
1: all the time like in football news or like basketball news they'll take like a clip of what a guy said and then it's just like very exaggerated Mm -hmm. version of whatever it is that they actually said or what they meant or there's no context whatever it is you need to get the whole picture but another major issue we have for mitigation is that many of the world's largest emitters including the u.s china russia
0: and india have been hesitant to cut down their use of these fuels yeah, and part of that is for obvious economic reasons, you know, exporting oil, industrialized nations wanting to keep their lights on, stuff like that. And we only have eight years to cut those emissions in half. Another part of this issue is because of the whole what aboutism thing that we experience all the time. Anytime you bring up any sort of environmental topic, you know, it's too late to say, why should we cut our emissions if China doesn't cut their emissions? And mm. we can get into this whole debate of historical versus annual emissions, where sure, China is the largest emitter right now. India is up there. Russia is up there. The European Union is up there. The US is up there. Historically, the US is the number one leader for carbon emissions. Over the lifetime of this planet So for us to sit here and say You know we don't want to Reduce our emissions if no one else is going To look even if we're not Number one on the leaderboards the way That we used to be We still have a lot Of carbon emissions on our hands And the carbon in the atmosphere is going to last Hundreds of years so It's not like we can just ignore That part of this fact
1: yeah absolutely And and that brings up equity And climate change mitigation too A question someone might ask is, is it fair that wealthier people need to do more to cut global emissions? Mm -hmm. Another question could be, is it fair to those who haven't emitted much that the highest emitters get to live in luxury? Yeah, that's
0: a really good point because similarly to how historical emissions still play a role in the carbon that's in the atmosphere, our bank accounts as a nation look a lot better than they would have if we didn't take advantage of fossil fuels to industrialize, so for countries that never got to experience that, it's not fair to them that we're asking them to not do the same things and not get economic help and do what? Yeah, like what? What are yeah? That's the thing. Like, what are we asking them to do? And it's sacrifice so that we can continue to live in this luxurious lifestyle that we, as the industrialized world, get to live in.
1: Yeah, that's such a great point. And to that point, households with income in the top 10% contribute about 36 to 45% of global emissions. Two-thirds of them live in developed countries and one-third in other economies. Those with higher emissions have a higher potential for emissions reductions too, while maintaining good living standards and well-being.
0: Yeah, you know, the people that are able to reduce are the people that have a higher wealth. And those people with higher wealths generally live in countries where the fossil fuel economy helped them get to where they are today.
1: Yeah. And to that point, like it's it's tough for us to ask like more of people and to not take advantage of what we just did for the past, you know, 50 to 100 years. Mm -hmm. But it's just not enough to lower our own emissions at this point. We need to help poor nations to not make the same fossil fuel mistakes that we did. And that will take the international community working together to get us to our low-carbon future and fast.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the leapfrogging principle where there's areas of the world where they don't have house phones, but they have cell phones because it's a better technology. This should be the same sort of thing. You know, you may not have had your industrial revolution yet in your country, but we can help you do that with solar panels on all your roofs and hydroelectric power and wind turbines off the coast if you live in a coastal area. So yeah it's a global problem climate change it's going to take global solutions and all of us kind of working together as team earth here instead of just looking out for you know our our own country's gdp and in doing so it's going to benefit our country in the long run and you know there is so much room for economic growth in countries that have less access to electricity so we should help them grow with clean energy so that we as a planet aren't continuing to emit more. Yeah, and a lot of
1: this episode focused on the negatives because those negatives exist, and it's important to understand them instead of just naively hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. But there is still hope here. Like we mentioned in the first half, we have the technology available to fix this. We're starting to see more and more of public support in the areas where climate denial or skepticism was running rampant just a decade ago, and that public support often leads to political
0: change. There's something I just want to touch on, and I don't know if arrogant is the right word, but I'm going to go with it, and you can take whatever takeaway you'd like out of this soundbite. But how arrogant is it that we have areas of the world, and you know, it's, it's easy for us to talk about Americans here because you and I have lived here our whole lives, but climate skepticism was popular in Australia for a long time, so, so much so that I think it still is today around the same level that it is here. And that's just one, those are just two countries right there. But there are areas in the world where their lives are already getting upended by climate change. And then you have people going around being like, no, nah, it's this whole big hoax. You know, this this can't be a real thing. Yeah. And I, I don't know if arrogance is the right word, but that's the first one that comes to mind. Either way, it's you know, something that I'm glad to see is becoming less popular. And now when someone's a climate skeptic, you're like, oh, so you don't believe in gravity. Nice.
1: Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's honestly, I think the best way to say it is literally just socially unconscious. Yeah. Like you have no, um, care for your fellow man. You have no care for like what other people are going through and to deny something that is so obviously and clearly here is Completely frustrating, and like yeah. I'm sure the people who are actually in those areas being affected by it right now, and like trying to figure out like what's my next move, have the most right to be the most angry. Yeah, and
0: something that's also equally frustrating for me is, you know, we say this on the show, we care a lot about this topic. I studied environmental policy in grad school. I have a master's in energy environmental policy. I work in solar. I worked at the Bronx Zoo. I'm still not an expert in any of this climate science, but I read what the scientists are putting out and granted like my education and work experience makes it a little easier for me to understand some of the scientific stuff they're talking about than for others. But I'm still going to trust them at their word because they are dedicating their lives and their careers to studying this. Yeah. So to read that and be like, there's no way like those scientists are getting paid like, yeah, by who, (laughs) <laughs> like talk to any climate scientist and ask them how much they are getting paid by whoever you think is lining their pockets to put out this work cuz they are not getting paid enough. I could tell you that. We much. need we
1: need like an architecture digest like um like like a cribs basically just a cribs of like a climate <laughs> climate scientist home so that they can see like oh wow these people are not living in lavish whatsoever. They are just normal people just like me and they're not getting paid to say this sh-. And it's not for their health. They're saying it because it's fact.
0: Yeah. And you know, they are saying it for their health. They're saying it for public health because climate change is a public health issue. (laughs) So that's why they're doing this. But all right, just to get back on track a little bit and close this one out. Having the right policies, infrastructure and technology in place to enable changes to our lifestyles and changes to our behavior. That can result in a 40 to 70 percent reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. And the IPCC Working Group 3 co-chair Priyadarshi Shukla said in a statement that this offers significant untapped potential. So in other words, we aren't totally screwed and we can do this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Individual sacrifices help. So continue to eat less meat and not buy single use plastics. But let's make one thing pretty clear. Most of this comes down to corporations, billionaires, and entire industries in order to enact change.
0: Yeah, we have the technology and the resources to do this thing. Public support's pretty much there globally. The private sector can't handle this one alone. So make your voices heard in local elections all the way up to the federal level. And something that, you know, I want to try to emphasize here, we're not putting any blame on individuals here and saying that this all falls onto us continue to do your thing but like Nick said this is going to come down to big changes from the top
1: yeah exactly like play your part and you can go to sleep at night knowing that you're you're doing the right thing and and helping the cause but ultimately it's it's more about voting getting to the booth and putting your what you think is the most important issue at the top of the ballot when you go to vote
0: Yeah. All right. We're going to close this episode out with two quotes. First one from friend of the program, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Our boy. (laughs) He will be on the show eventually, I hope. Anyway, climate activists are sometimes depicted as dangerous radicals, but the truly dangerous radicals are the countries that are increasing the production of fossil fuels. And my personal favorite quote from the IPCC report itself is, GDP is a poor metric of human well-being, and climate policy evaluation requires better grounding in relation to decent living standards. In other words, it's better to have a livable planet than it is to have a lot of money.
1: Yeah, agreed. And you can apply that to a lot of other things in life too.
0: All right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. Nick and I will be back on Friday for some quick hits, and then our boy is off to Italy. (laughs) So if you're listening this far into the episode tweet at Nick and say, have fun in Italy. (laughs) I would be
1: amazed and very happy if at least one person did that. But anyway, make sure to follow our socials at Planet Today Pod for more TPT. For the Planet Today, I am Matt Norden And I'm Nick Janusa. See you on Friday. Peace.